Thanks for joining us on the Museum Revealed podcast. This episode was recorded using Skype, so you may hear a bit of background noise, which we like to call atmosphere. We hope you enjoy this episode too, so let's get started. Welcome to the Museum Revealed podcast brought to you by the Queensland Museum Network. Join me, Dr. Rob Bell, as we chat to the people that make museums so fascinating, from curators to scientists and researchers. Dive deep into conversations with these storytellers that inspire us to be curious about our past, make sense of the present and help us consider the future. Now today we are joined by Jeff Powell, who's a curator of the Cobb Co Museum in Toowoomba which not only has coaches, but all sorts of horse-drawn carts, wagons, and carriages. Jeff researches and also answers the public's curly questions on transport technology and its effects on the history of Queensland. So Jeff, I guess the first and most obvious question is, uh, who or what was Cobb & Co? Cobb & Co was a uh, coaching company. It, you know, horses out the front, big wooden coach at the back, and they carried mail and passengers and uh, going back to the 19th century, it became an, uh, like a national network before Australia was a nation. Later on, uh, Cobb and Co was to spread uh, from Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, and even went in Japan and, and uh, New Zealand and South Africa. Oh, wow, I had no idea. I mean, I've certainly heard of Cobb and Co, but I didn't realise they were international there for a while. That's fantastic. It was a many-headed hydra. <laughs> so when did it all start for Cobb and Co? And where, maybe? Uh, Cobb & Co started down in Victoria in the 1850s gold rushes. Uh, up until that time, the white settlement of Australia tended to be just for pastoralism, and so there were no really big towns away from the coast. But uh, once gold was discovered, there'd been, you know, no town this week and 10,000 people there next week. And it was one of those things that to, um, uh, to run towns you need all that sort of bureaucratic stuff like uh, the mail has to go through and and uh, money to the banks and government officials have to come and go and, and of course the passengers and the gold. The guys who started it were Americans uh, and only young fellows, they're all sort of in their early 20s, uh, Freeman Cobb being one of them uh, and they'd had experience in coaching in America with you know com companies like uh, Wells Fargo and Adams and Co. And so they realised when they come out here that, yes, you can dig holes to make money, but an awful lot of them realise that there's more money to be made on gold fields uh, servicing the, 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 the people there. So they imported the first coaches and away they went. Uh, they were all young and most of the early drivers and managers were actually either uh, Americans or Canadians. Uh, well, I, I do remember someone once saying, and it had to do with the uh, business models, you don't make money digging for gold, you make it selling shovels. And it sounds like that was sort of the ethos of, uh, of Coven Co. It certainly was, yeah. And uh, they, they sort of expanded all the way through Victoria initially uh, because there was plenty of money to be made. And, and uh, so it just, it just uh, blossomed. So it started all around the, the gold rushes, but they are, as you mentioned, sort of by their nature, a bit boom and bust. So I suppose they had to sort of expand their network once they sort of had it. Yeah, by the, um, 
the late 1850s, by around 1860, the easy one gold was running out. So, uh, and the original partners in Cobb & Co had sold out. So there were a, a number of different companies all um, cooperating. All these young Americans that had worked for Cobb initially, they all started competing companies, but then cooperating companies because you can't sort of take everything off one coach and just leave people there. It has to connect to the next coach, to the next place. But it was a very strange business model because they all shared an office in Burke Street, even though they just competed to get the, the tenders for different mail contracts. Anyway, it, it spread with that sort of business model through uh, Victoria. But once the money started to, uh, to decline a little bit after the initial gold rushes, they were looking to expand. And uh, just as there was the 1860s uh, mini depression coming on, Gold was discovered in New Zealand. So some of the, the, the people have been running Cobb & Co, like the, uh, the Hoyt brothers and Carlos Cole. These were Americans as well. Next thing, Cobb & Co starts up in New Zealand and spread through New Zealand. That was 1861. 1862, they're spreading into New South Wales. And then uh, Cobb & Co came to Queensland in 1866. So yes, it sort of popped up in all different places. Yeah, absolutely. So let's focus on Queensland. That's where we are, where you are. Um, can you tell us a little bit about their, their life in Queensland, where they sort of started and expanded through and where the roots might have gone? Well, it started off with, uh, well, there was one fellow who uh, was, was very influential initially with Queensland, and his name was Hiram Barnes. He'd been in, uh, with Cobb & Co in Victoria and then in their, their spread to New South Wales. And poor old Hiram, like a lot of the drivers in New South Wales, kept getting held up by bush rangers. And, uh, and uh, unfortunately, he, he broke a rule. The rule tended to be that the bush rangers didn't bother the ladies and didn't bother drivers too much. And then the drivers didn't tend to identify the bush rangers. Okay. That, it was a good way of not getting shot. But, um, <laughs> but Hiram Barnes actually did sort of uh, uh, dob in a few of the, the bush rangers so um, I think things might have been getting a bit hot for Hiram in New South Wales. So they got him to come up and pioneer some routes in Queensland. And, so, and their first route went from Brisbane uh, out to Ipswich. And then at Ipswich, he got on the train. The train had only been, the railways had only started a couple of months before. And you went from Ipswich on this funny little train that only went about the speed of a coach anyway, uh, as far as Grandchester, then back on a coach, and then up the range here. Um, you'd start off in the morning at about uh, six o'clock. They used to blow the bugle in Queen Street at five o'clock because Brisbane was a bit like a frontier town. It was the, the wild west on the coast, if you like. And they'd blow this bugle at five o'clock because most people didn't have a, a, a clock. There was no town clock. And in fact, there wasn't even street lighting. So they'd blow this bugle. Oh, there might have been a few gas lights, but not much. Uh, they'd blow this bugle and everybody would get woken up and so they could get down to the, to the coach office at six o'clock. But the funny part about it was there was one fellow who wrote a letter to the editor who lived in Queen Street complaining about Cobb & Co blowing the bugle at five o'clock every morning and waking him up. But sometimes you wonder whether people really should think before they you know, sort of write a letter to the editor because he then went on to say that he actually had to go to Ipswich one day and he was so used to hearing the bugle that he didn't wake up and he missed his coach. 
But yes, that the, the Hiram barns, actually Hiram was up here in Toowoomba for a while and had racehorses and things. They tended to be colourful sort of characters, the Covenco personnel. Uh, but yes, it, it was up and running and um, spread right throughout Queensland eventually, Port Douglas uh, to the Laura Goldfields and then uh, eventually right over to Normanton, uh, Cloncurry, uh, Boulia, Longreach, right out to Thargaminda, uh, but also like Brisbane to Sandgate and Brisbane to what's now the Gold Coast. Uh, there were coaches that used to go along uh, across the Narang River at Old Ferry Road and along what's now Cavill Avenue and along the beach. So Cobb and Coe went everywhere. Yeah, quite a network. Tell me how long that you were talking about that trip from Brisbane to uh, Toowoomba via sort of Ipswich and Grantchester on the train. How long would that trip have taken from start to finish? Uh, from six o'clock in the morning, you'd be getting into, well, on a good day, you're getting into Toowoomba at about uh, one o'clock in the afternoon. And then there was another one that started about midday and you'd get into Toowoomba, you know, mid, mid uh, evening. But when I say that was on a good day, it's because uh, if it rained, the coach got bogged. If the coach was heavily laden, you had to get out and walk up the range. Uh, so you, they were always very prescriptive when they were leaving. They weren't real prescriptive about when they were going to arrive. That is understandable. Uh, well, look, stay with us. We'll be coming back very shortly with some more about the Cobb Co coaches, including what you did on some of those really long trips. So stick around. Part of the Queensland Museum Network, Cobb & Co Museum in Toowoomba is home to Australia's finest collection of horse-drawn vehicles. Featuring more than 50 vehicles, visitors are invited to step back in time to discover how this traditional mode of transport shaped our country's social history and development. The whole family will enjoy a visit to Cobb & Co Museum with permanent and touring interactive exhibitions for all ages. Visit us online to find out more. Welcome back to the Museum Revealed podcast. We are joined by Jeff Powell from Cobb & Co Museum in Toowoomba. Uh, Jeff, we started talking about coaches and, and the long trips that people would go on and the fact that obviously it took a little while longer to travel by stagecoach. Uh, tell me roughly sort of what speed did they go and, and what would a typical long journey look like for the passenger? Well, the coaches could go about 10 or 12 kilometres an hour, but then... To, to sort of maintain that speed, they had to change the horses every couple of hours, so about maybe 20 kilometres. So that would take up a little bit of time. And then travelling during the day, you had to stop for lunch, which could be if you're in Victoria and there's lots of money, or New South Wales, a lovely lunch at a lovely pub. Or if you got out in Western Queensland, it could be a bit of a bark hut and it could be damper and glass stew, literally, you know, like it was pretty rugged. So in, over the course of a day, you'd do about 80 kilometres in a day. Uh, by the end of that, you'd have been well and truly glad to get out. It wasn't all that uh, romantic or luxurious to ride on a Cobb & Go coach. When you talk about changing the horses, so they would literally get to a, a point on the, the route and swap horses there. They didn't obviously just have horses they could uh, bring out of their backpacks. No, they, they tended to, um, and it'd be near, near, it'd be on a creek or a waterhole. Uh, the transport in, in those days would just go from waterhole to waterhole. Uh, and there would be a, a groom there whose job was to look after the horses 
and um, quite often uh, they'd also put on lunch there at, at the, the little chain station. Uh, and uh, yeah, so they'd look after the horses there. And that would be, it'd be like the, um, the 19th century equivalent of a Bathurst pit stop. They'd pull in, they'd take the, they'd take the, the tired horses off, put the fresh horses on. Uh, you might have time to go to the toilet behind a tree, but then back on and away you go. Nice. It sounds luxurious. I, I can't see why you say it was so rusty. Um, tell me a little bit about the coaches. So what, tell me about the coaches you've got in your collection up there. We have uh, two of our own coaches and one coach that uh, is on long-term loan from the National Museum in Canberra. Uh, these coaches were part of a collection that um, Bill Bolton, who, who was a businessman here in Toowoomba, lovely fellow, philanthropist, he started our collection. So he got the first couple of coaches and carriages. The American thoroughbrace coach, that's the sort of coach they were, they had these leather straps or thoroughbraces underneath. Instead of having metal springs, they had these, and very, very thick when they put it all together, thick uh, straps that went underneath the body. Uh, the advantage was you couldn't break it. So you could go over the roughest track, and the, the, they were rough tracks. They weren't roads in any, any real sense. And, and the downside was, uh, as far as the passengers were concerned, uh, people didn't travel that much in those days anyway. Most, most people would roll the swag and walk if they were going somewhere. So they were going to get motion sickness, but these coaches would go forward and back and forward and back and forward, and they'd rock the whole trip. And, of course, people would get motion sickness. They, they used to say that ladies would get on with a towel and men with a hip flask. <laughs> But uh, they, they'd get through where they were going. Um, there was another unusual thing that they used to do too, that you'd expect to see uh, horses in pairs. You know, there'd be two horses in front of the coach or maybe two and two, even up to six. And that's the way Cobb Co went as well for a long time. But then at one stage, they decided that they'd put three in the front. Um, seemed to make it easier to drive. You have less reins to hold and you didn't lose much in pulling power. So... That was a fairly unusual thing that Cobb & Co did to have an odd number of horses. Hmm. Now, the, you were talking about how it was quite a rough trip, but I guess you know they weren't going along uh, the pristine roads that we might have these days, but they also obviously didn't drive on rubber tyres. Can you, I guess, talk us through a little bit about um, yeah, what, what, what they rode on, for those that have well, never seen one? The, 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 the wheels, they're, they're um, you know, maybe about a metre high for the front and a bit higher for the, uh, for the back wheels and they wooden construction, wooden spokes, and a, a, an iron tyre. And they did tend to chop up the road, but they didn't chop up the road as much as some of the, the vehicles they shared the road with, like uh, bullock drays pulling big, uh, or bullock teams pulling big wool drays. And if it got, got wet, then that would rut the road up. Uh, and so sometimes Cobb & Co would actually have to get off the road and try and go a bit cross-country. Uh, and there were even stories, and this was um, Anthony Trollope, who was a, a British travel writer in the 19th century, was out here, and he was on a coach down in South Australia where the driver actually got lost. Or, as he said, bushed is the Australian term for it. And they ended up working out where they were. But, yes, yeah, so you wouldn't think if you got on a, 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 an organised uh, trip that you would actually get lost en route. But... Uh, it was it was a pretty wild and woolly getting where you were going. And now, of course, with steel tyres, you're unlikely to get a flat, but I suppose with wooden spokes and axles, they must have occasionally 
broken down mid-route and no RACQ to call? What would they do there? Um, well, sometimes they did have to uh, get an extra wheel in. They, pro- they quite often had spares in the little towns and there'd be a, a, a you know, a, a, they had their own carriage factories, Cobb and Co. They actually made coaches for themselves and, and their competitors, they really couldn't lose. They did, if they didn't get the mail contract on a route, they'd, they'd sell the other bloke a coach so they'd, they'd win there. But to get sometimes into the town, they would um, chop down a, a fairly thick sapling and take the wheel off and then tie that to the undercarriage and, and go on three wheels and a stick oh. uh, to get into town. They also used to use saplings uh, sometimes if they were going down a very wet and steep slope like going down the Great Dividing Range and the, they'd tow a, a log behind. All sorts of vehicles did this and it would actually dig into the road. It was like throwing out the anchor. Uh, made a terrible mess of the road but you didn't sort of run over the horses and uh, going down hills was always a bit scary anyway because uh, it's like if a semi-trailer, if the, if the trailer starts to go faster than the prime mover or if the coach started to go faster than the horses, you're, you're in a lot of trouble. So the best you could do, you'd try to use the brakes. They did have a brake. But if the brake wasn't working, then you would just have to crack the whip and make the horses go faster. So, it, um, yeah, they used to scare the hell out of some of the passengers by the time they hit the bottom of the slope. Oh, boy, I can imagine. And look, that's for downhills, but what if the uphill was a bit too steep or someone had packed a bit too much luggage? They'd have to get out and walk or push? Uh, they'd have to get out and walk. Uh, firstly, the men would get out and walk, but if it was too steep, the women would have to get out and walk too. And the men were obliged to help dig it out if they got bogged. Uh, I don't think they made the ladies dig it out, though. Oh, well, but that's very kind. And for, and for all that, you got charged an enormous amount of money. It was about the equivalent of a week's wages. So it might be like, say, you know, uh, $1,200 to go 80 kilometres. Nowadays, it'd be, it'd be more expensive than charter flight. But, of course, changing the horses every, uh, every couple, few miles and then having staff there and a driver and an agent in each town, it was enormously expensive company to run. And there was fodder for all the horses. And if there was a drought, often um, Cobb & Co lost money. So... As big as it was, it went like from North Queensland all the way to the South Australian border, at least in Australia. And um, there were years when it lost money. Wow. Look, it sounds like a fascinating way to travel. I've got to say, as much as I love hearing about it, I'm probably glad I don't have to travel that way these days. (laughs) It's one of those things, you know, some people know uh, about uh, Cobb & Co from Henry Lawson's poem, The Lights of Cobb & Co., and that is quite romantic and, and rollicks along. Uh, but the funny part about it is if you read um, Henry's uh, tales of actually travelling on Cobb and Go, he was no more uh, enamoured with the company than anybody else. <laughs> he said he said it gets that way. Every, all the passengers are that uh, annoyed with one another that no one's game to speak in case there's an argument. They all just wait for the next drink. Mind you, Henry liked to drink too, so that probably was... Also on the cards. But at least he could romanticise about it in poetry. 
Oh, I, mean, I think a lot of things are romantic in retrospect. Indeed they are. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us from uh, Common Co Museum in Toowoomba. Uh, and thank you everyone else for joining us on the Museum Revealed podcast. What did you uncover in this episode? Are you interested in learning more? Well, then follow the Queensland Museum on social media at QLD Museum or head to the website, which is qm.qld.gov.au. And while you're there, you can sign up for the e-news list. And don't forget, there are show notes that go along with this podcast, so you can check out a whole lot of the stuff that Jeff's been talking about. Oh, and until next time, stay curious.